0: the real bad news cast we all go a little mad sometimes
1: Bates is back to normal, but mother's off her rocker, again.
2: How's it going, boils and ghouls? This is Wolfman with Triple Shot Media, and as always, with me are my good buddies, great killer, and general Otz. With us today, we have a special guest who also happened to be the editor of the fan edit that we reviewed earlier. Uh, Please welcome back Agent Sam Staley, who did... uh, Blair Witch 2 and actually made it a decent movie. How you doing today, Sam? Welcome back.
1: Thank you. Very nice chat.
2: I'm so glad to have you back, man. We had so much fun doing that Blair Witch 2 review. Okay, everybody, today we're going to be on our third chapter of the, doing Psycho 3. So basically a short synapsis of Psycho 3 is that it was released in 1986 and it was a direct sequel to Psycho 2. Of course, we have Anthony Perkins in the lead role-playing Norman Bates. And we have an entirely new cast, basically, starting with uh, Diana Scarwood playing Maureen. And then we have Jeff Fahey playing uh, Dwayne. His friends call him Duke. And we've got Roberta Maxwell playing an investigative reporter. Most people didn't really particularly care for this because it probably had that stigma back in the 80s of slasher movies always being terrible in the freeze. But me personally, it held up really well. I still think it holds up really well today. And especially for Anthony Perkins' directorial debut, pretty damn good. What did you guys think of it off the bat?
0: It was very unique. Um, I didn't know, going into it, how... You know, what to expect, because, I mean, like... To me, like, Psycho 1 and Psycho 2 were definitely on, like, the 10 level. You know, like, really high up there. Um,
2: They're untouchable.
0: And... While I don't think... uh, Psycho 3 is necessarily on that level. I don't think it has to be. I think for what it is, it's very entertaining. I think it'll progress the story and the way um, it would naturally progress. Um, Anthony Perkins, I thought, nailed it, uh, you know, again. He just nailed the role, even though he does play it a bit different than he did in Psycho 2, but obviously, because Norman has cracked again. Um, I thought yeah, the new.
2: I'd say he's more broken than cracked.
0: Yeah. Uh, well, I've heard criticisms from people saying that uh, he wasn't as good in this one, but I don't know. I disagree with that. Um, yeah, so, would you re- recommend it? Uh, yeah. It was it was fun. Um, it was suspenseful. It was funny. It was weird. And, most importantly, it was just entertaining. Uh, it was a lot of fun. Um, Just, I guess, hmm, this movie, don't go into it with expectations because it's so zany. I don't know, it's something. You should definitely watch it once. (laughs)
3: Psycho 3, a.k.a. Psycho if Made on Drugs. Well... The big problem I had with Psycho 3 is I really kind of wanted to hate it because it does feel kind of trashy in places. And it feels like, it it honestly feels like it's almost a self-parody in some instances. The big problem is when you look at the proportion of good and bad, the good just barely outweighs the bad. I will say this for the film, it's surprisingly well-acted. And the direction really is not that bad either, especially for a first-time director. It's actually kind of funny when you think about it. Uh, Star Trek Three was directed by Leonard Nimoy, and Psycho Three was directed by uh, Andy Perkins. Effectively, I wanted to hate it, but it was so kind of endearing that I actually kind of liked it. I have mixed emotions about it. The best thing I can say is it certainly was far better than Alien Three. Oh God. Don't even bring up that old wound
2: Sam, how did you feel about psycho three?
1: thing is uh, the psycho films they're they're like part of my childhood, you know like I, I grew up watching them, and for a very long time when I was a kid, psycho three was my favorite uh, uh psycho because it's more like a traditional kind of slasher film. you know you have like more I think we have more death scenes in the the third part and they're more violent, and you see more blood, you know, it's like, it's it's almost like if uh, Norman uh, fell in a Friday the 13th movie, you know, like, uh, so, I mean, when I was growing up, it was like, I, I thought it was a blast, you know, it was like one of my, it was my favorite cycle for a movie. I would watch it even more than the first one that, that I, I liked, but it was like one more it was more like a thriller you know it wasn't like a horror film like the ones that i was used to like a bloody film or anything so uh, for a long time cycle 3 was my favorite cycle of the franchise but now of course i'm a grown up and my taste changed a lot and so of course my favorite is the original it's just a masterpiece but uh, i mean i still enjoy cycle 3 quite a bit you know it's it's um it's a film that, just like uh, General Lott says, there's a lot of trashy things in it, but uh, there's a lot of it. There's a lot in it that I like, you know, like um, the way um, Tony Perkins per- portrays Norman this time. It's um, it's a little bit different from the other films. Now he has like this stutter every time he he's talking, you know, like oh, 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 I didn't mean it. Oh, oh, I didn't want it, you know, like I think. <laughs>
0: <laughs>
3: so
1: like... Sorry. Honestly it kinda of made me think of uh uh
3: Reginald Barkley from uh, Star Trek TNG when he <laughs> oh. did that.
0: It's
3: like oh. when Reginald Barkley goes wrong.
0: <laughs> I'd say it's uh it's because uh, even though uh Norman is what, forties or fifties by now, he's like uh he's, or maybe older. He's uh he's still like a little boy, you know, trapped in his body because of uh whole mother grip on him
1: yeah but but, but that's the, the, the thing that i love about it. it's just that he's like a man on his 40s you know and he he's so like he acts like this stuttering kid who's terrified of his mother and he just did a bad thing and no i didn't mean it i mean i didn't want to kill him i'm sorry mother and he's like a 40 year old dude you know
0: i know so, like this is the movie where like it really feels like he's trying to get a girlfriend uh, I think yeah. I think in the second one Mary was more kind of motherly to him than like an actual like relationship. But this one yeah. he found someone that's kind of screwed up as well. And they're really, you know, clicking and it's just like, oh, you really see the torment.
2: Yeah. And for me that was the perfect storm. Two screwed up individuals coming together and they're trying to
3: somehow fix one another.
2: I guess is that you yeah. sum it up.
3: Now of course wasn't there an alternate cut where it turned out he was actually Deadpool? Oh, I might just be imagining that. Pool? Exactly.
2: No, who's got their IMDb's open? That I was joking. No, so was I.
3: <laughs> I see.
2: That's <Let's laughs> a recommend all across the board for everybody. Yeah.
0: I'd say. Uh, I mean, if you've already seen Psycho One and Two, you might as well watch the rest. And I, but I don't think this is going to be disappointing. But just you know, this is definitely through the eyes of a crazy person, in a way, the way everything kind of flows, you know.
2: Go into it thinking it's Psycho on crack. Yeah, for me, it's a recommend as well, Um be as well, and I guess you could find this one a little easier to get into on some aspects. As an adult, obviously, you learn to appreciate things a lot more, but as, say, younger and I guess having... A little less control over your ADD. This one is a bit easier to get into because it's got... Calling a movie fun because it's just like, oh, this movie is fun. But it, it's just... It's easier to get into because there's more going on. It's a lot less cerebral. So I guess you could say there's more action, even though there's not really action. And there's not really many other places that you could have taken this story. Yeah, Anthony Perkins, i say, knocked it out of the park for a first attempt as a director. And continuing a character like this, I'd say... Once again, like in Psycho 2, he slipped back into the role pretty seamlessly.
0: Hmm, right.
2: Quite a bit, and we'll get into that a little later.
0: And Perkins must age well, because he was was actually 54 when he did Psycho 3.
3: Wow. Well, Ned Flanders is
2: in his 60s, and look at him.
3: (laughs) Other that, or Anthony was moonlighting as a uh, vampire. <laughs> Maybe so. All right, so we'll move on to the
2: boiler time. All right, so Psycho Three takes place pretty much. Um, I want to say a few months after the events of Psycho yeah. Two. Yeah, you're right. And I, I, I love that direction where it just takes place after. It feels like a true sequel. Mm-hmm. I mean, when you take one movie and it's like twenty years later, and it doesn't, it doesn't feel like it. You know, it, it's just. It's so much easier to get back into the world that way.
0: The, but they match up stuff really well. You see the book that Mary had on the ground,
2: the fingerprints yeah. on the, on the window from the boy, and then. But you know, the movie starts off with a with a with a literal bang. So before the Universal logo is even gone, you hear someone screaming, "There is no God," <laughs> which they axed that in the TV version because we can't have that. <laughs> God forbid. No pun intended.
3: Um, I gotta say this, though, about that scene. I, I me- My brain immediately went to King uh, of the Hill, to be perfectly honest. I don't that, know why. That's interesting. Oh! Um,
2: yeah, so it starts off in a nun's convent, where we see the distraught Maureen. Uh, blah, blah To fix that in post, too. We're in coil. Yeah. Yeah, so yeah. we gotta just. Dis- so we start off at a nun's convent where a distraught marine coil is standing at the top of a belt tower, and she's screaming at a bunch of nuns, basically that she's given up on her faith. And some nuns are trying to talk her out of it, while other nuns are telling her how wicked she is. And you know, that's they say to someone who's distraught that you're a rotten human being and that you should burn in hell. No, hell, you hear me?
0: You'll burn in hell. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> When
2: <laughs> um. none reaches that, tries to grab her, she winds up falling down the entire clock tower, which was holy shit. Hey, I, I mean, movie off. And we see Maureen walking away, she's walking down the highway, and soon she gets picked up by Dwayne Duke, who is probably one of the most endearing characters in the franchise. Dwayne is your typical scumbag wannabe musician on his way to LA who says, I'll ride right, all the time. <laughs> Just right off the bat, how do, how do how do we feel about this as an intro? Do we feel they 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 made enough of a bang? and made you wonder what the fuck is going on here enough.
0: <laughs> yeah, it was like definitely unexpected because uh because throughout the second movie we're definitely stuck in that location. So to see like you know a different location at the beginning, for the most part, you know
2: it was like, huh, okay. Be honest with you, if it didn't say Psycho 3 at the very beginning, and I was watching this for the first time in the theaters, I would go, oh, shit, I'm in the wrong movie. <laughs> uh, I can see it.
1: And it uh, in the beginning, in the first scene, uh, in the convent and whatever, it doesn't even feel like a uh, psycho. It just feels like, okay, so now it's going to be like this drama about this girl who lost her faith, and now he's going to try to find her faith somewhere well, since she's gonna fall for a guy and whatever. It doesn't even feel like a horror film. I mean, okay, then end falling was like kind of gruesome, but I mean, it could it just could have been just this, this drama. I mean, maybe it wasn't just. It doesn't look like a horror film in the beginning, you know.
2: It really doesn't, and I don't know if this was some attempt at um, bringing things back to the first one where they misdirect the audience a little bit.
1: Yeah, uh, maybe.
2: You know, it's it's kind of like Friday the Thirteenth thing, they would, you know, have Jason obscured from view, and then finally around like the, the 30th, Friday the 13th, they're like, alright, the cat's out of the bag, people know what Jason fucking looks like, we don't have to do first person shots anymore. You know? Yeah. Type <laughs> Marine, so I thought Marine the same box. way,
3: it's like, it, it, it didn't play around with just, well, let's actually build suspense. like, you know what's going to happen in Psycho. Just get, let's get on with it.
2: So it's kind of like a needless direction. But still, I, I felt it was an easy way to just establish that this character, Maureen, has got issues. Right. Dwayne picks her up. They're driving along. The rain starts falling. And they wind up pulling over for the night because of, apparently California's got the most torrential rainfall in history, at least this area of California. So, Dwayne tries to make a pass. Twice? What am I, fucking Elmer Fudd here? <laughs> to make a pass at Maureen. And she slaps him, he throws her out of the car, and she's walking throughout the rest of the night. Right. This morning, outside of Norman Bates' house, and we get to see some fantastic shots that just, once again, show us that it's meticulous, but it, it, it's also an... an um, a look I- into a lot of things here. I mean, we we see um, Mary's book thrown outside, almost like Norman saw it, picked it up, threw it out the front door, uh, and totally forgot about it. So you get that foreboding feeling that something has happened here, and it's just the house looks a lot more disheveled than it normally used to. We the, we then see the fingerprints on the window from the boy who got murdered down in the basement. I feel that it's a good way to just show that Norman has essentially completely snapped, bother keeping up appearances anymore. He just stays inside, and he starts having hallucinations with the birds coming back to life and reaching into the feed bag and pulling out a severed hand. It, it, it was an interesting thing, but once again, I well, think they were trying to do don't forget the moment
0: where he's like uh, stuffing the bird with uh, sawdust and he uses the same spoon to get himself some peanut butter on a cracker. Oh
1: my god. Wow. Uh, that's so disgusting. I remember I was watching <laughs> that and he was like, oh, he's not going to use this same spoon. I... <laughs> it's
3: got some good protein in it.
1: The um,
2: uh, 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 moment right there for you. He's offering people peanut butter, so it's just, uh, candy corn.
0: (laughs) (coughs) Candy corn, corn. ugh, I'll
2: take the sawdust peanut butter. (laughs) I'll take the crab juice. (laughs) So after the establishing shots of Norman, Dwayne pulls up to the motel, starts honking on the horn, and then the two characters meet. Um, Dwayne Duke is just a, your typical sleazy musician that's looking for a quick buck. Um, Anthony Perkins offers him a job as the assistant manager to replace uh, Warren Toomey, who was fired and subsequently disposed of in the second one. This is also when we meet another character named Tracy Venerable, who is a journalist from L.A., and pretty much she's the she's the shit-stirrer of the bunch. She's the one that thinks
1: that Norman Bates is still
2: committing the murders, she's going around town asking people a lot of uncomfortable
1: questions. And she has like this very annoying voice, and the character is pretty annoying too. Like for a
2: heroine. Uh, oh. No, she wants to be the heroine, but it, it, it just seems like she... It, it, it's just another person that's out to dig up Norman's past and set him walk. Hey, she's yeah, not it, wrong, though. <laughs> she, she definitely has all the subtlety of a bull in a china shop, by the way.
0: Yeah, I've heard some people argue that she's a... Uh... A bit too much like Lila from Psycho Two.
2: I never heard that argument personally. I felt that she was her own character, but I guess you, I, I, I guess with a stubborn approach, so to say. Yeah. See, where were we? We had a Tracy venerable show up. She's questioning people at the diner concerning the disappearance of Miss Spool. That's, of course, perfect timing when Norman shows up. Norman mm-hmm. tries to order some sandwiches. She get and we get a little impromptu interview sheriff who once again is probably one of the kindest men in history tries to get her the hell out of here well uh that's when uh maureen shows up shows up he sees the (laughs) the the luggage with the m and the c on it
0: get the flashback
2: flashbacks to the shower scene That, that that flashback
0: was interesting the musical choice they they did
2: Flashback was interesting, and you know what? I, I got a comment here too. That just sitting here trying to describe the scenes, it's it, this movie is so much more hectic than the other two. Mm, yeah, because I'm sitting here and I, and I'm recalling the movie because I mean it's definitely burned into my memory. The movies were so much more cerebral and they were more methodical, and this one was just literally okay. We're doing this. 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 Yeah.
0: Yeah, After, I feel like um, I feel like some people just kind of look at this movie and they kind of just toss it away, they don't really look at the, the the visual creativity of it.
2: I agree. Norman introduces himself to Maureen, who just walked in after having a hell of a walk through the rain, offers her a room at the hotel, and, of course, we have that nice, awkward moment where her and uh, Dwayne meet again. Flips out at the notion of it. Right. How, how, how are we liking the movie so far up to this point? Um,
0: it's very, uh... I mean, it's definitely engaging, um... The connection of uh, Maureen and Marion was an interesting choice. Um, apparently, I had heard that they they actually wanted um, Janet Lee, yeah, but I'm kind of glad they went to different actress. Um, and then you have
2: uh, they were really opposed. Yeah, to
0: it. and then you have Duke and you know he's established as being this weird flece ball that wants to make it in the music industry.
2: So were definitely... Well, originally, Duke was written to be uh, a copycat killer.
0: Right. Which I'm, I'm kind of glad they dropped idea that. Of.
2: Are you kidding me? I love the idea
1: of that. Well, we're, we're going to have to debate that one later.
0: <laughs> Maybe it could have worked.
1: You know, I know that uh, what I heard, uh, I mean, I read, that um the, the script had, like, many different drafts. You know, I mean, they, they just... The writer just couldn't uh, decide what he was going to use. He just had so many ideas. But, I mean, not, none of them seemed uh, right for the film first he was he wanted like duke to be his brother and then he he thought about bringing him in like a copycat killer who was like obsessed with norman or something and uh, janet lee was here like um norman's psychiatrist or something and then um during the sessions he was going to uh, remind of Marion Crane from the first film because they're they're the same person, obviously. yeah, that but, that's,
0: I mean, that's what the writers do for the sequels. you know, they always do that. What if, you know, just like Halloween 2 like what if he was her brother? you know? <laughs> just yeah. like this, What if Duke was Norman's long lost cousin uh, her, <laughs>
2: brother? you know, afraid of making a match to the original in some way, shape or form and it's like i said just recounting these events it's so hectic and and to describe them it's really difficult because the movie in the beginning because typically in a movie you have a build-up and then you know during the middle is when things can go blah, blah 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 but it's just right from the very beginning very hectic and to describe
3: it's difficult right and uh Talking about how it feels like there's a bunch of different ideas going out, going all going at once, it really does feel that way. It it does, especially early on, feel a bit disjointed. You know, even the very concept of, oh, there's this woman and she, you know, is at a convent and, you know, um, it just kind of comes out of nowhere. And then the the musician, honestly, the, the Duke character, I feel is really uninspired. I mean, it's something you've seen a thousand times before, and it just—that's one of the bad things about the film.
0: Well, they uh, had to have some some foil for Norman, you know. I, I but know was a but it's a lovable
2: like, asshole. So. Uh,
3: it's just like,
2: but I
0: feel uh, like,
3: uh, it feels very phoned in. That's the thing. Let's continue the uh,
0: going down the plot synopsis because we're just about to get into the the really cool like scene transitions and stuff.
2: Yeah, we're going to get to that, and I, I just wanted to add a point here that, yeah, we, we've all seen this movie, and I know this movie by heart, like like I mentioned before, this was a childhood movie. When you want to sit and try to describe a movie to someone, and, and it's just like Lot said, you can tell that there was several different drafts of this, because you're sitting there going, okay, so we, we started off in the convent, and then she was walking away, and then she got picked up, and then it rained, and then she got thrown out in the <laughs> rain, and then walking along the highway and it's raining and then there's birds in the front yard and then <laughs> he's eating fucking peanut butter sawdust and then there's a restaurant and then Dwayne shows up and then there's a reporter and then there's a sheriff. You're just What the fuck? Who's really crazy here? <laughs> I, I think I, I think that's one of the reasons I like the like
0: this movie's how frenetic it, it is uh because Maybe they wanted you to feel yeah. as insane
2: as Norman is feeling.
0: Exa- yeah, that's that's The way I kind of think,
2: like... Luckily, as soon as we get past this opening hurdle, this is when the movie kind of chills out a little bit. Um, Because after Maureen goes into the hotel room, which is ironically room number one, Norman has a shit fit about that one for various reasons. And of course, Dwayne's like, hey, I felt it would be a little bit more cozy, don't you think? Right. Little scumbag scene where they went over the prices in the beginning, and Dwayne overcharges her, and he pockets the fiver. Yeah. $25.95
1: 25
0: dollars So what was that Sam?
1: No uh, uh, I never noticed that uh, He overcharged her for the room <laughs> oh, Yeah Like the first time For a, sing- for a
2: single it was twenty ninety five, And for a double it's twenty five ninety five. And then when she showed up he charged her for the double And then he pocketed the five And we'll see that fiver show up Several times throughout the rest of the movie Right. The room. I mean, one of one of the big things that they tried to establish in this movie is that Maureen is definitely a deeply disturbed individual. Yeah, I heard Google.
0: somebody mention that like Maureen is maybe supposed to be like the reincarnation of Marion Crane, but I don't know about that.
2: <laughs> Originally, the idea for Maureen is that she was going to be the replacement for the psychiatrist that died in the second one right. and, that, and they wanted to get Janet Lee and it was just going to be one of those things where it was like but the studio flat was like no 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 she's not right for the role and it's too goddamn confusing even for hollywood and if it's too confusing for hollywood then so right we have several of the flashbacks. We get to see wonderful, wonderful camera work, where the light under the door reflects off the knife.
1: Perkins for that. Yeah, and that's a great, great
2: thing. So after Duke is sent off for the rest of the night to go stay in his cabin, to peep through the you know peep through the hole in the wall dresses up his mother, and there's no ifs ands or buts about it. Norman is dressing up his mother. There's no aspect of mystery to it anymore. Right well mother goes in, I'm sorry to go take care of Maureen and then we find out that Maureen has attempted to kill herself due to the intense guilt that she feels over the nun's death
1: Yeah,
2: event, she... calls the police calls the ambulance, gets her to the hospital right on time thankfully
0: wait, wait, well well, she sees uh, mother as uh, the Virgin Mary
2: the Virgin Mary, yeah
0: which was just
2: a hallucination I know, but it was still an interesting <laughs> choice also, well, she, well, Obviously, this person had a very religious upbringing. After he visits her in the hospital, mentions, you know, well, we all go a little mad sometimes, and he offers to let her stay at the hotel for as long as she likes. Mm-hmm. I love the scene of him exiting the hospital room, and then it's like he's leaving the hospital room, and then he's, bam, immediately in Mother's room. and Yeah. He starts ch- yeah. very okay, well done. So this is where, like I said, the movie chills out just a little bit the Bar, and this is where he tries to pick up... Uh, no, so Duke, on his time off, goes down to the local bar, trying to pick up some tail. He finds Tracy, the journalist. He tries picking her up, and holy shit, does she shoot him down a million ways from Sunday! Yeah. Actually, the back and forth between the two of them was fantastic. Oh, you're not going to list the, the, you're not going to talk about the awesome uh, jukebox music. <laughs> I was actually just about to get into that. Oh. this is the point when um, <laughs> see the, compo- the, the, the the composition. For the for you know the soundtrack to this movie was fantastic the guy was a genius he just did one tune and then he played it on different instruments depending on the situation and i thought that, that was really really cool so since they were in a CD bar you hear that nice little tune but it's coming out like a CD disco type of tune
1: yeah and there's also um earlier in the film norman is playing the tune in a piano tune
2: Right, it's because
0: Anthony Perkins was a fan of the Coen Brothers movie Blood Simple, so he contacted the composer of that movie to do Psycho 3.
2: After Dwayne gives up his chances of getting with Tracy, he spots a nice little redhead down at the other end of the bar, who also happened to play Robin in Friday the 13th Part 5. They go back to the room where we're treated to probably one of the most unintentionally hilarious shots in any movie that I've ever seen with Dwayne and his lamps.
1: Oh my God!
2: Purple music—that saxophone music playing in the background. My <laughs> God.
1: Yeah, that's an age, very old, well, I'm afraid. I mean, that's just that, that,
2: that, that there was no age to that, my friend. That shit needed to be put back in the oven. It was not done yet. That, that was just bad. <laughs> <laughs> age, please splice that in for the audience to hear. <laughs>
0: that's a. Uh... The... <laughs> uh, yeah, Duke, Duke puts a lot of work in for his Nuki. He just I, he grabbed those like like filters for the lamps and was like, "Oh yeah, gonna move around."
2: Uh, that, that was actually um, that that was a last minute addition because originally he was supposed to do the scene totally nude. <laughs> Comfortable with that, so Anthony yeah. Perkins, fine, just use the fucking lamps. <laughs> pretty bad there. You know, so naturally while all this is going on, Anthony Perkins is having a heated argument with himself. A little love session is done with. They get into an argument. Dwayne throws her out on her ass. She tries to call for a cab. And that's when she gets attacked by Mother one of the more gorier scenes. I mean, like, if, you, if you've if you never seen this movie before and you were going in expecting your typical Friday the 13th movie, I'd say it's definitely pretty shocking the way that she got killed in the, that phone booth. Yeah. That was also very sloppy of mother, but, you know, hey. <laughs> yeah, because the next morning, Anthony Perkins was still cleaning it up. Yeah.
0: I love his, oh, shit, look on his face. And then when Duke kind of walks off, he's just like, oh, thank God. <laughs> he didn't notice.
2: <laughs> Cause that, well, then the next day you had the, the football fans coming down, and they took up all the rooms, and they just went ape shit throughout that. Yeah. And the insanity was to see uh, Tracy going through uh, Mrs. Spool's apartment building. That's when she comes across the Bates Motel phone number. And this is when she starts piecing things together. Oh, yeah, I forgot about the other girl that got murdered. Flirting with the – and that's the thing that sets him off is is because the redhead was flirting with him a little bit, and that made him snap into mother. And then this one was nice to Norman, I believe. One, One of the football girls. And she got killed in the bathroom. Beth, the body count is definitely going way way up with this movie.
1: That girl you you were talking about is the girl. This is Occupado, right?
2: So how how are we uh, yeah, we'll, we'll 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 give our thoughts on it now. What do you what do you think, Ragey? We have that horrible death on
0: a toilet scene that's or
2: oh, that huh? terrible waste of toilet paper.
0: That was hilarious though when uh when I guess you could say Norma stabs the toilet paper for stuff. like what? Uh, um, you can tell Norman is pissed in this movie at mother. He's always arguing with her, like telling her off. Like you could tell that that Norman definitely preferred that twenty-two years of peace he had without her. Oh,
2: yeah that I did notice, too, is that they, they, they were really pushing with the notion that even though Norman is probably more far gone than he has ever been in his life, you, you can definitely see that he is seriously fighting with the idea right. to fight Mother and be himself again.
3: Let's see. I also found a lot of the uh, kills to be really, really uh, lacking in any, any sort of nuance I go back to the original psycho there was like a grand total of two deaths that was it that we actually saw here it just this is one of those things where I really do like Anthony Perkins he's what really kind of saves the film as a whole but all the various murders just feel like something out of like say friday or uh uh halloween you know it doesn't really feel like something from Psycho, it feels like it just has kind of lost its identity, and it's just sort of aping what's popular at the time.
2: Yeah, that was that was definitely a main complaint about it at the time. Hmm. And what are your thoughts about this area?
1: Uh, sorry, is it me now? <laughs> oh, sorry. Uh, well, what, what? Well, I, I agree with General Watts just said. I mean, it, it, it just like I said in the beginning, that Cycle 3 is the one that has the the most um, slasher vibe of all the films, you know? That's why it was my favorite when I was growing up. Because I was more used to that kind of horror, you know? Friday the 13th and Halloween, so um, that was my, my to-go style, you know? So the, that's why Cycle 3 was my favorite. But, um... I don't know. I mean, um, I, I think it for for what it tries to be, it works. Uh, uh, it doesn't bother me the uh, the excessive killing, and I think that all the death scenes are pretty well done because um, it's like a the the girl getting getting stabbed in the in the phone booth. It's like a gorier version of uh, of the shower scene if you if you look at it, you know. And Tony Perkins even tried to use the same angles that. Uh, Hitchcock used for the shower scene, so it's like a a gorier homage, you know. So I mean, it's not like it's not just this the, the average Friday to Thirteen kill, you know. It's it, it does have some 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 thought in it, you know. So uh, absolutely I don't, right. So I I like it. I mean, I, I don't think it's just like I mean, it does have more of a slasher vibe, but it's not just slasher. You know, that's what I'm trying to say.
0: Well, just because it, you don't it's not see just
2: mindless killing.
0: That, and just because you don't see the fun. body count in Psycho 1, doesn't mean he doesn't have, we don't know the history, like, they never exactly say how many people he actually killed, like, in Psycho 1, or we don't believe that just the people we see on the screen is just the people that Mother kills, I mean, I'm sure there's probably a history of other people that came to the base motel.
2: Of course. It's not like he just decided to start with um Marion Crane.
0: And uh, the vibe I also get from it is that, like, because of the, the turmoil and struggle between Norma and Norma, it's that it's almost like Norma has gotten worse because of Anthony Perkins' uh, general age and mental uh, stability has gotten worse, you know. I guess essentially becoming psycho, he has become, you know, just much more crazy than he, you know, from. uh, But I
2: think I think the argument with finding out about Mrs. Spool and stuff using Mrs. Spool's corpse, and I always kind of felt that the reason why he fought back with this one so much more and it was a lot more subdued is that this was a new mother after after Norma Bates had died, he had been talking with that one. He had known that one. This is like this is like a kid with a new babysitter, you know? So you don't have that respect ingrained and it's like it, like, it was a little bit easier for him to fight back with this one. And plus, he knew how Norma talked. He didn't know how Emma talked.
1: You know what I mean? Yeah, but I mean, in Norman's mind, he he thinks that uh, Mrs. Poole is his real mother. So I mean, I mean, he should have uh, respect uh, towards her because he um, think, okay, so this is my real mother. I mean, she didn't raise me, but uh, she 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 does have the the, the mother figure. I mean, uh, I actually came out of her, so she is my mother. So I mean, yeah. I mean, she she's not Norma, but I mean, he's his mother in his head? So I mean, I think the respect is there too. You know? I'd
2: say it's kinda there, but it's almost like every movie that we've ever seen where a kid meets a long lost parent where there's always that beginning turmoil thing, you know? Yeah.
1: It's
2: I think like he... if you watch over the top you had Sylvester Stallone arguing with that punk ass kid.
0: <laughs> I also think he just wanted her gone 'cause all you know, because nor- he found, you know, Maureen and he wanted to just fall in love. I mean there's that scene where he grabs the knife and he kinda like, you know, cuts his fingers just so he could like
2: Oh my God, you that know. was so hard to watch. Yeah. yeah, like when he punched his hand out of that banister. When she Norman, and then he and then he does that. I was just, oh, that's bad.
1: <laughs> you can actually feel the pain when he when he punches the knife you know? Oh yeah, I can
3: agree with
2: that. Now here comes the the where the movie really really heats up at this point. After um Tracy, I can't pronounce her last name. Miss Venable. After Tracy uh, uh, Tracy Venable finds uh, the phone number written repeatedly over, like, a bunch of magazines, this is when she starts to put the pieces together, more questions, and this is when the police have also showed up at the house because of the missing girl from the football party, and I I will never forget this scene. Starts causing shit, the sheriff is trying to get rid of her, and he's eating ice out of the ice bucket. <laughs> and, he, and the the bodies in there, and even and once he grabs the one ice cube that was next to her hand, and it was bloody. Even Norman's like,
0: <clears throat> "Oh, by the way, that wasn't a dummy."
2: Favorite scene. Oh, that was that was really her in there. <laughs>
0: yeah, that wasn't blue makeup.
2: Oh no, it wasn't.
0: Damn.
2: <laughs> uh, talk about dying for your craft, you know. <laughs> yeah has well, a talk with Maureen about Norman's past and this is when Maureen runs off with the the psychiatrist from the hospital and they go they have a little back and forth and this is when Maureen decides that she really truly loves Norman and she convinces herself that they can both help each other and she leaves against all common sense and against the priest's wishes she takes off to go find Norman at the same time when they walk when the police are walking through the house Norman, of course, is afraid that they're going to find Mrs. Spool's corpse, but turns out Mrs. Spool's body is gone. Police leave, and this is when Norman finds a note which says, come to cabin 12. Mother goes in there. And this is when we find Dwayne, who, asshole, he was pretty reserved throughout the whole movie. But now Dwayne has gone totally batshit. Got Woody Woodpecker playing in the background, (laughs) the room's all red, and Dwayne is just sweating profusely. He
0: probably did some cocaine or something, but he's probably like freaking out in a way too, because it's like, uh, like Norman has a fucking corpse of his mom.
2: (laughs) Oh, because well, he was let in on a lot of the information when he had the bar thing. And and you see, once again, it's this, this movie is so hectic. And like Lot's pointed out earlier perfectly, there were so many pieces of different scripts in this movie. His acting in that room, just suddenly go like that and wind up like that. This, to me, I felt was um, from the idea that Dwayne was a copycat killer and that he was nuts. Yeah. Just the way that he was acting and the way that he carries himself. You know, so Dwayne says, give me some money. You could just sell an acre. Get into a fight and famously gets an ashtray bashed over his head, then he gets the guitar hit over his head, and of course this is a running joke that I wish I had remembered to bring up earlier, but throughout the whole movie, someone's always messing with Dwayne's guitar, and then in total Clint Eastwood fashion, watch the guitar. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Dwayne gets loaded up into the trunk, and Norman plans on driving Dwayne out into the swamp, and this is when Dwayne wakes up in the back seat, grabs a hold of Norman, and they drive into the swamp. And I fe- this scene really stood out to me, because it was like, you've always heard about the swamp, I build up a build-up about it, well, he threw the bodies in the swamp, now we're in that swamp, you know, it's something that we've been hearing about for years, it is the swamp, and now the car is in the water, and it's just like, what's in that water? And it was really um, pretty shocking the first time that you see it, when... Duke gets drowned and then Anthony Perkins tries escaping and he comes across Red's body. Right. It was definitely a very 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 intense scene. Yeah, which then leads
0: into the the finale. <laughs>
2: And this is this is when we get to the finale, where Tracy goes up and meets the original owner of the diner. Because the the whole movie, she's just asking questions. Right. And she conveniently shows up at the end to nicely fuck everything up for everybody. She meets the original owner of the restaurant who had hired Mrs. Spool in the beginning. And even though he's senile, she manages to deduce that Mrs. Spool was. Um, Institutionalized, so to speak, because she had killed somebody and kidnapped Norman as a child. Things starts unraveling. And of course, at the very same time, this is when Maureen just shows up at the door and says, I love you. And Norman says, I love you too. And then we hear, "Naaman," no, And then bam, Maureen falls down the stairs the exact same way all down in the very first one, pierces herself on a statue that I don't know why the fuck they would put that statue like that to begin with. That's just asking <laughs> for trouble. And then you just hear Norman in anguish,
0: just yell out, "Mother!"
3: I actually thought it was kind of sad to be perfectly yeah, honest. Yeah, it was sad, <laughs> and Bro. I thought it was kind of cheap too. It's like, of course, there just so happened to be a statue there, and she just so happens <laughs> to trip and fall. Like,
0: yeah, where was a statue like that statue in Psycho One? <laughs>
1: well, come on, Norman the way that she was like, and she just pinned herself to that. It was just. So fake. I mean, that's one of the aspects of the film that I'm like, okay, that didn't actually age well, you know, like, come on.
2: That one was definitely
3: just...
1: <laughs>
2: because this is the part that broke, the, the, the straw that broke the camel's back. Venable shows up, and we have a nice little stalking sequence throughout the house, where she's trying to scream the truth at Norman while he's chasing her around the house, as mother. And the coolest thing in the world is when she's going up the stairs, she bumps into the painting while Norman's walking past that painting. He just nonchalantly reaches out and evens it out perfectly. <laughs> I thought that was the coolest thing in the world.
1: Yeah, that, that's a pretty good one.
2: We have the final scene where um, it, it's a bit of a, call it a Mexican standoff where it's between Norman, Tracy, and Mrs. Spool's corpse where they're all arguing with each other. Yeah. And, and then... Fu- Finally, Norman just snaps, rips the dress off, and starts hacking the shit out of Mrs. Spool's corpse. Right, yeah. Arrest Norman and say, Norman, I stuck up for you, but now you're never going to get out. And then Norman mentions, but I'll be free. Gets in the car, drives off, and then Norman is holding a severed hand in his arms. He smiles, and then we go to credits. Right.
0: Which that, uh... That arm, I believe, was mandated by the studio. They wanted a little a more of a zinger at the end.
2: Yeah, because it's not like they're going to check his fucking pockets for weapons. <laughs> he doesn't have any guns, Mac, but he's got a hand in there. Yeah, leave it.
0: Yeah, but that, that, that's just movie logic, you know? <laughs>
2: at Maybe least he, he just imagined the hand. Who the hell knows? Yeah.
0: Well, at least he didn't stuff it in his ass or something.
2: <laughs> oh, God, no. <laughs> Pull an arm out of his ass.
3: That's one way to get pissed <laughs>
2: Oh, God. Uh, Cups. uh... So... Oh, Jesus, guys. This... You know what I say about it? Uh, this is a this is definitely a lot more action-orientated, and it's not as cerebral. It's just sitting down and describing this movie. Man, I didn't realize how hectic it really, really is.
0: <laughs> I don't see how you could be bored, for sure, you know?
2: No, oh, no, 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 the story is not boring yeah. by any means, it's just when you're sitting here trying to construct, um, someone, like, if someone's like, so what's the movie about, what happens in the movie? It's like, <gasps> oh boy. This, 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 this. You are literally jumping back and forth, it is shot at a pretty psychotic pace, <laughs> and, and that's what the movie is based, is that everything is very, very hectic, and that everything is moving all around. The good part is is that it's not like a fight scene in the Christopher Nolan Batman movies where everything is just going <laughs> <laughs> It's just it's hectic but it's paced just right. <laughs> so guys, that was Psycho three and you know let's let, let's get into more in depth thoughts about the movie. Hmm. <laughs> so as a whole, Ragey, how do you feel about it? Um, I would say that,
0: um, you know, you always get those people to complain about movies and sequels and they complain that like, there's no originality. It's always the same thing over and over again. Well, you know, you should definitely, of course, watch the original and watch these psycho sequels. Cause at least they, at least they do something original with each one. Yeah. Uh, psycho three is, uh, a definite recommendation because it's just, it's fun. It's crazy. It's sad. It's.
2: <laughs> Everything. No, instead of psycho, they should have called this ADD.
0: <laughs> um, hey, Sam, what? What, what do they, they call the psycho movies in Brazil? Psicose. Ah. Huh. See, I read it wrong. I thought it was Psychos.
1: <laughs> no, it's. Uh... Yeah, it, it, it's hard to pronounce if you're if you're not a uh, if you're not a native speaker. But it's sekuazi. Ah, I don't even get to try to pronounce this. <laughs> so, it's a uh, sekuazi. Phase cycle tree.
0: Mm. So continuing uh, the overall thoughts and whatnot. I guess so. Lots.
3: <laughs> oh dearie me. This okay. Uh, it's really kind of hard to. You sound like you're still processing what you watch.
0: It's almost like you need a few days.
3: Yeah. Well. Uh, okay, watching it well, is one thing. Hearing somebody talk about it is another. Uh-huh. It is every bit as scatterbrained as it sounds. It, it's it literally. It literally is one of the most scatterbrained films. Ever and it's easy to see that it likely was cobbled together from a bunch of different screenplays, and what we eventually got was—I don't know—I don't know if I'd say it's like a psycho, psycho movie, but I will say this: it's one of those where I think, I think there might have been some meddling from the uh, studio. The studio definitely messed with it a lot because you can see it. What I always like to say is there's usually the bones of something good in a movie like this. And you can kind of see the bones of something good. But I think there's three things at work. One, you ha- there was likely a good screenplay. That screenplay was probably butchered and turned into this Frankenstein's monster of a movie that has bits from the studio and have, has bits from, I think, uh, Anthony Perkins and probably a variety of other people trying to be artistic. Uh, the, the the kill with his like potential love interest, you know, I think is one of those things where they were trying to be artistic. It's like, and then she dies by falling on the statue of Cupid, and like that'll <laughs> be like really, you know, um, symbolic, man. I yeah, poetic,
0: man. It. Well, it was paying homage to the first one, and they, yeah.
2: Well, okay, so fall- but it's a step. is an homage. Falling down, a
3: lover falling on the Cupid's arrow. Yeah. come on. I get the feeling that was, they they were like in a room, the writer's room, right? There's this giant bowl of an an undiscernible substance, and they're like this, like, what if she died, like, falling on the statue of Cupid, man? It's like, that's, like, deep. It's little things like
2: that. Like, they just had a bowl full of, like, pieces of paper with shit written on it, and it was like someone jammed their hand in. How is this one going to (laughs) die?
3: Yeah, that's a good example, and that does feel like what this movie was. like It was just like they shredded all the screenplays and they just like, okay, what do we do next? They pieced bowl.
2: it all together. Yeah. It's, like, it's like Danny DeVito in Batman Returns when he held up the notes, and it was like, a lot of patience, and a lot of tape. Uh,
3: how do you know so much about American history? Well, I pieced together mainly from sugar packets.
2: Like they ate some sugar packets. Jesus Christ, the way this movie goes through.
3: So, you know, I can't say that I recommend it because – see, here's the thing. Like if you can accept Psycho – if you can accept Psycho 3 into your heart, you might not hate it. But if you are a big fan of that first one, if you think the first one is like the greatest thing ever, there's a good chance you will find this to be the worst movie ever made. Because if you really hold Psycho 1 like above everything else, it's going to be like, this is a betrayal.
0: What about Psycho 2?
3: Let's assume even okay if you even know about Psycho Two. And you like hold that up? It's pretty high. You'll probably like like, yep. This is just another crappy sequel. Well, he likes Psycho Two, so don't worry about that one. <laughs> so, at the end of it, you know, do, is it is it a good movie? Not really. Is it a bad movie? Not really. It's weird. That's that's the best way I can sum it up. Once again, do I recommend it? If this movie sounds. Entertaining to you, I'd say give it a shot. I didn't regret spending, you know, the I didn't regret watching it. Let me put it that way. That's the best. That that is the absolute best thing I can say about it. Is I did not feel like it was a waste of time.
0: (laughs) Well, earlier uh, Sam was saying uh, that Anthony Perkins was inspired by Italian directors and stuff. In a way, this almost does feel like like an Italian, if like an Italian made a remake. Or a sequel to psycho is going
2: on. (laughs) (laughs) Sure, yeah. Um, so Sam, you're seriously I understand that point.
0: All right, Sam, you're up. Uh
1: uh, well, I definitely recommend the film. I think that like uh, Wolfman said, uh, the film is far from being cerebral and there's a lot of Trash in it, like for instance, the Marine's death thing is just. I mean, uh, I, I understand she had to be killed, but I mean, and uh, they try to do something that would do a homage to the to the first movie, but I mean, come on, that was just stupid. You know, everybody laughs at that scene when I showed that scene to someone. You know, like my father was laughing and a friend mine was laughing like oh come on you know like <laughs> she actually died like this she actually pinned herself to the cupid i mean come on that's just like coming going from the back you know like it's not, that's just like but um yes. Yeah, so there's a lot of stuff that doesn't hold up today in the film but there's a lot of interesting stuff in the film too like um for instance, there's one aspect in, the, in this film that the other films didn't exploit that it's uh we actually get to see what's going on in norman's head you know i mean we actually start to see what he's seeing you know like the corpse of mother is actually moving by herself so i mean i mean obviously she's a corpse she's not moving so i mean norman is the one moving her but i mean we see the corpse as he's seeing you know like the corpse is actually moving he's actually alive you know when she re- responds to Norman, um, his mouth is not moving, you know, like he, he, I mean, we hear her voice, but I mean, you're like, I mean, so the, the corpse is talk- talking now because, I mean, Norman's not doing her voice, you know, but because, I mean, we, we're we seeing the, the the whole the whole thing like Norman would see, you know, like, so uh, the corpse is alive, the mother is alive, and she's the one responding to it. So that's something that the other didn't do, and I, and I thought it was very interesting in this film. I really
2: liked it. Yeah, the way I see it is, is that this is definitely, I, I'd call it a recommend to watch if you were a fan of the first two movies. And it's its like I said earlier, it's, lots put it perfect. The way that you heard me describing it is exactly how this movie is, is because it's just, it's all over the place. Hmm? It's not easy to sell a movie like this vocally and describing it because there is so much shit going on. But at the very least, it's paced right. And, yeah, it's not as cerebral as the originals, and, yeah, it's not as, um... classy, I I guess is a word that most people would look for. I'm trying to find a universal way to describe It's because most people look at horror movies, and they're like, oh, this is just junk, this is filth. But Alfred Hitchcock, he was dignified, even though we banged every single person that worked for him. You know? (laughs)
0: Or oh, if psycho. you, uh, watch, uh, the uncut footage, uh, from Psycho 1, uh, like, you see, like, Janet Lee's like, side boob. <laughs> so, yeah.
2: But, um, in general, it's like, most people look at horror movies like they're trashy, like they're just violent filth, mm. and people look at Psycho at least like, well, that's classy, you know? And I mean, this is definitely not gonna live up to those standards, but... I'd say a sequel is inevitable after the second one because it was so good. And if they – a billion times worse. And that's not saying that the movie is bad because I feel that the movie is still pretty good. Anthony Perkins, of course, is fantastic in his role as Norman. He took it in a new direction. The character of Norman himself in this one, it's definitely more – like he's got no control over himself whatsoever whatsoever. But at the same time, he's fighting for that control, which is something that he never did in the other ones. I mean, in the first one, he was just... And then in the second one, he was cured, but you watched him going downhill. But it's almost like he didn't give a shit. He's just like, oh, well, I'm just going fucking nuts again. You know, and in this one, it's like he's fighting other... Fighting actively with, you know, the, the... just everything that is inside of him. He just wants
0: someone in his life. He just wants happiness, you know.
2: He wants someone in his life that isn't his overbearing, psychotic mother. You know, so it's... I'm not sure if the movie was paced that way so that we feel Norman's psychosis. Maybe it is one of those subliminal things where it is shot that way. Or maybe it really is just that Frankenstein of different screen drafts shit. Because, I mean, seriously, the way that the movie just carries along, it's done well, and maybe it's actually to Anthony Perkins' credit and the editor's credit—holy shit, applause to you if this is what it is— is that it's like they were shooting several different types of movies for this, and they melded it all together somewhat cohesively, because the story is cohesive. It's just, Maureen, and, okay, is this an homage to the first one where we're supposed to think this is supposed to be about Maureen? And then you have Duke where you're like, okay, so is he a sleazy musician or or is he the, you know, once again, the obsessed killer thing? He's going hmm. to learn how to be like Norman type of thing. And then you have Norman fighting with his mother. So is this a redemption story? It's just there's so many different angles that they tried to go at this with. And they all kind of stick in their own various ways. I mean, especially with the notion that Duke was the obsessed killer thing, because he was, he, he was a sleaze ball, and he was an asswipe, you know, throughout the entire movie, and then once he got into the hotel room, he's got no shirt on, he's sweating like, you know, church, and he's, well, you know, old mother here, I'm the one that went ahead and saved her from you. He, he almost kind of reminds me of Chop Top in Texas Chainsaw Massacre Part 2.
3: <laughs>
2: yeah know but it's just it, it, it's literally going just looking out for you norman it, it, it was just he has snapped Th- this isn't some guy sitting down saying i know what's going on and i won't tell anybody but you need to give me money he's sitting there going jeez norman you can't begin to tell me that that house up there ain't worth some money and all this land you could just sell an acre you know, he he's he's fucking Looney Tunes at this point. And you got Woody Woodpecker laughing in the background. Mother, stop laughing. I was gonna bring that up too. <laughs> um, he 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 is totally in Seymour Skinner mode here. <laughs> <laughs> um,
1: uh, comedic
2: moments, there was some creepy moments, there was some what the fuck moments and you know what, without delving into the whole um the anatomy of the movie without trying to get too technical about it. I- I'd say the movie was shot and directed really well. And if this was a Frankenstein type script, they did a good job of keeping it together. And to be honest, this movie truly does have a little bit of everything. There's shit that will creep you out. There's shit that will gross you out. There's things you will laugh at. And there's things that'll make you go, wow, they really paid attention to detail. Like finding the book by that you know, Mary's book was really cool. Right you know and seeing the fingertips on the wall so there was love there was care that was put into this movie it's just they they had a hard time figuring out what they were doing at the same it go, time it goes off
0: the rails which some people's going to love and you know some might not but
2: it, goes it stands rails, on its own 2, two feet again, it, that's the that, that's going to be the eternal debate about this movie for me is does it go off the rails intentionally to make you feel like you're losing your mind with norman or does it go off the rails because everyone's like okay what are we going to do here well, um, all in all, I felt this was a good movie, and I felt that as far as sequels go, it, it was inevitable that they were going to make a sequel, and thank God this was not like Amityville 3D or Joyce 3D, and they didn't do Psycho 3D, you know, it, it was just, most thirds in horror movies are god-awful, mm. and this one is not the best of the bunch, but when you consider how most horror movies do go downhill after a couple of times,
1: this one, at least, um, but I, you know, I, I think that the lampshade scene in 3d would be awesome. You know, like,
2: <laughs> a... Oh God.
0: <laughs>
1: for the ladies. Uh,
0: I was going to say, uh, I, after, uh, after we do psycho four, I'm definitely going to try and seek out the, the psycho legacy documentary, which is the documentary that covers the production of psycho two, three, and four because I definitely want to see what they have to say uh behind the
2: scenes. I want see that. Psycho definitely. 3.
0: And uh Psycho 4, that one uh they attempted uh to do a prequel enclosure. They got the writer of the original to come back and he kind of he kind of retcons 2 and 3, but we get to at least, you know, learn how Norman became well, psycho. So
2: yeah. <laughs> Well, when we jump into Psycho 4, and you know what, even thinking about it now
0: yeah, which I, is made for Showtime.
2: I wasn't particularly the biggest fan of Psycho Four. It was it's just because, all right, we get it that the mother was loony and all this, but some of the scenes that they showed and that were just like, ugh, you know. I think uh, overboard with it. I felt it would have been better if they would have implied it instead of showing it. Oh, you know? but, I think um, uh, they did a, a great. I will say just, Just thinking about it now, after trying to visually talk about how uh, lots said it best scatterbrained. This was most movies are double barreled shotguns. This was fucking birdshot just everywhere. (laughs) It, It was thinking about that compared to Psycho 4. I gotta say, Psycho 4 definitely got it back on track where it was more cerebral and where it was more chill as right. opposed to everything. So yeah. But we'll save that for when we get to <laughs> part four. So I, I, my final verdict is is I, I would say go see it if you're a fan. Just don't expect it to be as good as the first two, but it's not as bad as you think it would be.
0: Yeah. Uh, same here. If you've already seen the first two and if you're a horror fan, yeah, at this point, you might as well check it out. You're either going to Appreciate it, or you're gonna be like, "Well, that was something," and never watch it again.
2: <laughs>
3: so you'll you'll go one of those I two say, camps, Dwayne I guess. Did
2: have some hilarious dialogue, though.
3: Yeah. Yes, I remember, it's psycho on mountains of coke. <laughs> um.
2: Can you just imagine if they didn't have mountains of coke?
0: <laughs> oh, it was the '80s.
2: Oh yeah. Ugh, don't tell me you're one of those guys who farts and then rolls over and goes to sleep. Uh, I picked you up in a bar after one lousy drink. What do you want to do, get married? You heel. Hey, I gotta go to work in a couple of hours. You just get out of here. You brought me here. Here's cab fare. Get out of (laughs) here. So cheap. It is, but at least it beats a vibrator. Well, at least a vibrator gets me off, and then he throws her out the fucking door. What was what
0: the t- what was the TV version again? It wasn't vibrator, or something else.
2: Oh, in the, in the edited TV version, she's like, "Well, at least I have feelings," <laughs> and then he gets mad at that and throws her out. You know? <laughs> oh, did you, have, you have, feelings? have feelings? How dare you have feelings? Get out of my room! You know, if, if you're gonna dub a movie badly, put in something intelligent that would explain. It's like, if somebody came back at me with, well, at least I have feelings, it's not going to make me get up, like, enraged and grab you and throw you at the door. You know, say something like, it is, but it's better than nothing, and, uh, you know, they could have just, like, dubbed it with something like, oh, well, that's what's between your ears or something, you know? It's just, it would make a lot better sense than, at least I have feelings, because then he just grabs her and throws <laughs> her out. I've got feelings.
3: Oh. Mr. Falcon.
0: <laughs> Damn it, I was going to say that. You ki mister Falcon. It's from Die Hard 2 on TV. Or uh, awesome. sticking your
2: head up your toilet. <laughs> <laughs> okay, kitties, it has been fun. And next time to the Real Bad Dudes where we're going to review Psycho 4. The Big Kitty. Until next time, <laughs> this is the Wolfman. Um, um yeah, and Rage Killer. And, and I want to give a special thanks for Agent St- Sam Stanley for joining us today. It's so good yeah. to have you back, my friend.
1: Oh, it was great to be back. It's a real honor to be chatting with you guys.
2: It's a real honor to have you back with us.
0: We're going to have to randomly chat with you more, because, hey, why not?
1: Yeah, definitely. Just give me a buzz. I mean, I'm always online, and I'm to rock tomorrow I just love it.
2: It's just you're, you're, like, you're like seven hours ahead, because he'll fucking hit you up at every moment of the day.
1: Oh, yeah, I would love, love that. Yeah, the problem is that I am like uh, it's like midnight here, so uh, what? <laughs> Six hours ahead. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You're
2: <laughs> in the southern hemisphere. Which way does the water flow in your toilet?
1: <laughs> oh my god! I, what do you mean? Like
2: <laughs> <laughs> the Simpsons reference? <clears throat> on the
0: On the Simpsons uh, when they went to Australia? Yeah, you can explain that one. Mm-hmm. Uh. uh on Simpsons, uh, when they go to Australia, it flows the other way, so they have a machine to make sure it flows the correct way. <laughs>
3: <laughs> I remember that now. End we're so. <laughs> 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 Oh,
2: that's brilliant. Rich, send, a, send Sam the link for the thing so he knows what we're talking about. He's like, what the fuck is wrong with these three?
3: We're utterly <laughs> insane. We went a little <laughs> mad. Well, no. this is Wolfman's
2: Got Nards and you're not.